Don't let me, don't let me interrupt. <laughs> I, lo- I love seeing the church greet each other because let me tell you something. There's some people in this room, what just occurred might be the most meaningful thing that happened to them this morning. Sometimes people live in isolation or frustration and they get beaten down all week long and someone just to come along, introduce them and welcome them is deeply meaningful. So when we do this in this part of the service, I know some of you in your personality types, this is your least favorite part. So pay attention to the message this morning. This is for you. Uh, Recently, I was coming out of a shopper's drug mart in Aurora and um, I was greeted by one of my longtime friends who lives there. Uh, He's not a believer in Jesus, but he's an amazing man. And Roy comes up to me and he sees me and he gives me a big hug. And uh, he just was so positive and was pouring out all of this uh, wonderful affection on me in front of everyone else coming in and out of uh, shoppers. Uh, Here's the backstory. A number of years ago, I was invited, uh, uh, his daughter and my daughter were friends, and I I was invited over to his place uh, with a bunch of others, and we were eating food and watching a game, and there was a house full of people, some uh, celebrities, some no no names like myself, and um, we were sitting in the kitchen, and we are uh, watching the game, uh, because he had a TV in there, and we gravitated to, it's just easier to graze, right? You just go where the food is and you just stand there and sit there and graze instead of putting it on a plate and walking out and keep coming back. So let's just stay where the food is. So we're eating away and uh, as we're talking, I picked up something. I was listening to the gentleman in the, in the kitchen and I was listening to, and Roy said something about his dad uh, was struggling physically. Um, maybe about a week later or so, um, I heard, uh, I believe it was through my daughter, she said that... Um, that his dad was in the hospital uh, even that night. They took him in. And so I packed up and drove up to South Lake. And uh, I found out what floor they were on. And I walked into this room. And uh, they were in the waiting room. And here's Roy. And uh, the brother of a famous hockey player you'd all know. And we were sitting there. And he jumped out of his seat and came running over and gave me a big hug. And I sat there with them for over an hour just talking just being a friend. I wasn't pouring out biblical wisdom. I was just being there with him, loving on him. And then I had a prompting by the Spirit. Uh, His dad's a very devout Jewish person, and I said, do you think I could pray for your father? And he said, well, just hang, let me go see. So he goes into the room, comes back out, and he said, he said, yes. It's amazing what desperation will do to people. And uh, I walked into the room, was very respectful, and prayed for him. And then we came out, we sat for about another 15 minutes, and I came home. Part of that greeting recently in front of shoppers, Roy said to me, I'd never forget what you did for me and my dad. And then he said something, he called me something. I've been called a lot of things in my life. But he said, you're a beautiful human being. And I said, you just don't know me well enough. (laughs) You see, there was a foundation of 
getting to know and talk and hanging out, eating and listening, and I picked up something. And then decided to act on that and serve this guy who doesn't know God. And this is why we're doing this series, friends. It's simple. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to go to seminary. It's everyday ways that you can influence people, love your neighbor, and be a blessing to others. So this is why we're doing this. Let's never lose sight of why we're talking about this this morning. We bless others, and this is what we're about. God has blessed us. We learned that back in the the book of Genesis through Abraham. He has blessed us. He's blessed his people, always has, so that we would bless others. It's never to be for ourselves. And we learned this little sort of acrostic as to how we can put into play these five very simple practices. And the first one is to be in prayer. We just pray. Begin praying for people in your sphere of influence, in your orbit, maybe your neighborhood or around you at work or in your teams or at your school or wherever you happen to be. And then we listen with compassion just to enter into the pain or the confusion or just to their life. And there will be things that are said that the Holy Spirit, if you're paying attention and you're listening with compassion, you will pick up on and you'll be able to talk to them or you'll be able to act on something. Last, one we, last week we looked at eat together and how important it is to eat together. And it's a very spiritual thing to do. And actually eating together is more than just having food, consuming food. It's rather an invitation to enter each other's world to offer fellowship. And then today, as we do these things, you're going to see opportunities that are going to come out to serve, to serve a need. Because you're listening, you're observing. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Recently, we did a series in the book of John, and it was uh, the night before Jesus was betrayed, and he had gathered his followers, his disciples, in, in an upper room. And we remember we heard this story about Jesus did something absolutely counterintuitive, countercultural, because in that culture, uh, in the biblical world of the day, relationships and everything were highly stratified based on the power you had, the prestige, who you were, and you never did certain things based on your power. And Jesus is sitting there in an upper room with all of his friends, and what happened was they were so full of themselves that no one would lower themselves to take care of a very, very basic and important task. In that day, everyone wore sandals, and it was hot, and it was dirty, and who knows what they'd step in. And... uh, then they'd come together and they'd take their sandals off and they would eat. And when they ate, they reclined at a table. And uh, so someone's feet might be near your head, the person on the side of you. So one of, one of the jobs of the lowest servant in the room was to wash everyone's feet when they entered, if they were guests. And none of his followers did that. So we read this in John chapter 13. And Jesus rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
Jesus. He'll go on to say, I am your teacher and Lord. Lord is a word that meant in the Hebrew, king of the universe. Some of you who have watched uh, The Chosen, you remember that they always start this prayer, king of the universe, and this is what the word Lord in its full meaning in the Hebrew meant. The king of the universe who occupied the highest position in the heavens stooped down not only to become human but to serve. And he told his followers that he didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give his life away. He was introducing a seismic paradigm shift in that culture to shift their attitudes of their mind, the posture of their hearts, and the determination of their will to not be like the culture, but to reflect the kingdom of God whose king came to serve. And greatness in this life was found in serving others, and they were to follow his example, he told them. You see, Jesus set aside his crown, and he picked up a towel. What Jesus did in that upper room was not merely a kind gesture. What he did in that upper room was to catalyze an entire movement And he taught the disciples that they were to follow his example of servanthood. That they, as a movement, would embody and express servanthood, just as he had done his whole life. And he said to them in that passage later on, that if they know these things, he said, blessed are you if you do them. You want a blessed life? Serve. There's just no two ways about it. Now, The culture may not appreciate it as much, but the God of the heavens and Jesus at his right hand, the king of the universe, applauds and will bless you, not only in this life, but especially in the one to come. And shortly after this event, Jesus would submit to the ultimate act of servanthood just within a matter of hours, laying aside his crown, not for a towel this time, but a cross. And the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul said about this thing that Jesus even while he was in very nature God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, no position and power to grasp onto. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. And Jesus' followers would have to have the same attitude that was found in our Lord to serve others. In fact, in writing to the church in Ephesus, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, further clarifies that actually he ties that serving others is one of the reasons why we've been given this new life in Christ. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you'll know these verses, but listen to them with fresh ears and see the perspective. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. Pause button. We must understand, friends, you will never get reconnected with God. You will never earn God's favor. You will never get right with God once again by doing good works. You will never do enough. And you will never know when the quota is that you've hit it. 
Well, listen, how do we get connected with God? It's by his grace. It's not by works. You access it by faith so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. That is, we are reconnected with God, given his new life through Jesus Christ. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the principle that's taught in these verses. We are not reconciled to God by good works. We have been reconciled already with God for good works. That's one of the reasons we've been reconciled, changed in our hearts. Doing good works isn't the pathway to get to God. It's a result of being connected with his life inside of us because the one who came to serve gives us his life and now we've been connected with him, forgiven of our sin, given his new life by his spirit and now we too now live his life of servanthood doing good works. It's a result of new life. And what peace that is in our hearts. Jesus taught about this many, many times. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 5, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says this, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See these good deeds. People are to see the good works and the deeds, the, the serving that we do. These deeds are winsome, appealing in their character. So Jesus is telling us, I want you to meet the needs of people in winsome and attractive ways that will prompt their eyes to lift heavenward toward your heavenly Father who motivates you. In other words, serve others in a way that makes them look favorably upon God. Our joy-filled acts of serving and giving reveal God's love to a watching world. And it's how he, his presence gets manifested and his kingdom breaks in into the world in which we live. So Jesus is calling us to live contrary to the grain of our me-first culture by serving others sacrificially. That's part of the vision of our church is it would become a, com a community or a family of loving communities that would you know, intentionally follow Jesus and express his transforming presence in our world. That's part of why he has called us into being. And these deeds are meant to be seen by those who do not know Jesus. Now, for some of you who've been in the church long enough, doesn't Jesus actually in chapter 6 say that we shouldn't practice our deeds of righteousness in front of people? How do we understand this apparent contradiction? Shine your light so people see your good deeds. Don't practice your deeds of righteousness in public. <clears throat> well, in chapter 5, Jesus is addressing a different sin than he is in chapter 6. He's telling his followers in chapter 5, don't be cowardly. He's addressing the sin of cowardice our inactivity, hiding the fact that we are his. Remember he talked about if, you know, you don't take a, a light and cover it over with a basket so no one can see. No, you put it there so people can see. He's calling out the inactivity of people and the tendency to hide our faith, 
No, we are to do our good works, giving God all the glory and Christ the credit in front of people. So then what is he addressing in chapter 6? He's addressing our pride, our hypocrisy. To actually not care about it, but just to be seen as to look good in front of people. To do works for show, not for God, nor for the people we're serving. So church, Jesus' call to let our light shine is to serve others with our good works to lift us out of our complacency. Now don't fall in the other ditch of doing it only to impress people. But he's calling us to live out our faith in such a way. The Apostle Peter picks us up in 1 Peter. He says, for this is the will of God. People want to know all the time, what's the will of God for my life? I'll tell you. One of them is to serve. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using our freedom to cover up evil, but living as, what's the word? Servants of God. We've been set free by Christ, given his new life, so that we will be servants of him in our world. He goes on to say in chapter 4 of the same book, each of you should use whatever gift you've been given or what you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. And God's grace has various forms. It's multifaceted. God's grace has all kinds of expressions. And we are to show that. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things, God may be praised through Christ Jesus. So in your serving, some of you have been given credible gifts with, of speech. You just can talk. You can encourage. You've got a prophetic word. You've got wisdom. You just know how to encourage people. You speak life and comfort to others. And when you do that, do so in the power of the Spirit so that his, the words you speak are right from him. He'll empower and enable your words. And for those that serve, that is that those who have more hands-on and do, he says do it with the strength God supplies. God gives you actual strength to do things when you're tired, when you don't feel like it. He enables you. He takes those tangible gifts that you have and makes them real. Paul is mentoring a young pastor and a young leader named Titus, and he says this to him. He says, I want you to insist on these things. He says, tell your church. Insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So friends, this morning, you just need to understand, if I'm going to teach the whole counsel of God and be faithful to the word, I, like Titus, am charged by the word of God to insist on these things to you and from you. Why? Because we're becoming some kind of slave master? Like, no, because what did Jesus say? It's a life of blessing.
He's made you for this. And church, when we don't serve, we are missing out. We are not fulfilling the purpose and the design that God has made us for on this earth. Devote yourselves, not occasionally, not when it's convenient, not when you feel like it, if you happen to have an extra time. Devotion, to devote yourselves, means intentional effort and focus. It means clearing schedules because you're devoted to something. He says, these are excellent. This is, the, this is the best thing, the best way to live, the best quality and value, and it's profitable, beneficial in the outcomes for you and the payback that comes, and it's beneficial for those who receive the good works. I have a friend who's a professor, who was a professor at our seminary, and he's now the district superintendent in the Canadian Midwest, but Bernie, my friend, he would say this. He wrote this. He says, silence every radio and TV preacher. Stop every evangelical book and track from being published. Take down every evangelical website from the net and simply ask Christians to show one tangible expression of Christ's love to one another person every day, and we would be better off. Friends, the church has been made, crisis, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think of the influence of every one of us in our lives. You know what I pray often? Your staff and the elders can tell us, I pray this often. I just, during the week when we're in meetings, I say, Lord, as the church is now scattered throughout this entire region, I pray that they would be faithful in their love for you in their service of you, in their worship of you, in their purity. And I pray that through, through them, your kingdom would come to this region. And just think about that for every single Christian church in this entire region. Imagine if all of us actually just did one tangible expression of good works. The influence, the difference And so he says to Titus, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So servanthood is a learned behavior. Why is that? Well, I don't know about you, but I just don't want to do it. Am I the only one in the room? Yeah, we kind of like, okay, we're servants until we actually are called to or treated like one. Then we don't like it. Every one of us are generally, you know, our worlds orbit around ourselves. And service takes time and effort and energy. Things we feel we don't have enough of and calls us to invest them in the lives of others. So it's a learned behavior. That's why... Becoming like Jesus, we talk about this so much at Summit, is so important. It's a learned behavior to devote ourselves to serve others and help with urgent needs. The implied result of not doing so is that we actually live an unproductive life. And here's what I know about you in this room. You want your life to count. We all do. And Jesus says, the way 
to have a productive and a meaningful life is through serving others. At Summit, we have a pathway or a framework to think about how we actually to create people who become like Jesus. And one of the key components after we deal with the heart stuff of loving God or receiving his love and loving him back and being living in union with Christ and under his leadership and being filled with the spirit and staying in step with him, being sensitive to his promptings, then there's certain things that we do to train ourselves to arrange our lives around that'll help us become like him. And we arrange our lives around things that'll help us grow in faith. These are spiritual practices like word and scripture and prayer and worship and all these things. And then we arrange our lives around relationships that are going to help form Jesus in us so that we'll learn to love in community. But to serve in mission, this is one of the ones that we talk about, where disciples train by engaging in essential experiences of service that continue the mission of Jesus in our world. Some people have said, well, you know, at Summit, you don't disciple very much. Why? Because we don't have maybe their pet or their favorite, you know, discipleship program that we don't have Navigator 2-7 or whatever. But Jesus is saying that as you serve, you grow. It's a learned behavior. And you and I know this, that when we serve, we grow in our character. So we arrange our lives around the essential, essential experiences of serving. Because as we do, our character gets shaped. We become more like Christ in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our affections. It's why we're here. Uh, Francis Chan was a great pastor and a writer, and he said this. He said, if you are still alive on this planet, is that, is that everyone? It's because God has something for you to do. Purposes he orchestrated long before you were born. You exist not for your pleasure, but to help people to know the love of Jesus and become fully alive in him. This will shape how you live your life in the place where you are. Friends, we, as we embrace God's purpose for us now, not one day when I get older, not one day when I move, not one day when I get all my ducks lined up and my finances in order, not what, where you are. And he's placed you where you are right now for his purposes. To bless people Revealing his love, guiding them to Christ, the one who gives them life in his kingdom. I'm going to skip down. Let me finish with this passage from as Paul writes to the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, a region. And he says this in chapter 6. So, friends, let's not grow weary in doing good. Hey, it takes effort to serve. Is that not true? Sometimes it's a grind. 
He says, let's not grow weary of doing good. Why? For in due season, we will reap. If we don't give up. So many give up. I have friends that aren't believers yet. I've been working with for a long time, just blessing their lives. Can't give up. There's good to be done in our world. Can't give up. There's injustices in our world. We can't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone. Everyone. Don't neglect those within the family of God, within the church, especially. Why? Because people see. And Jesus said, they're going to know that you're the real deal out there because they see that you love one another. So friends, serving the needs of others can take effort and energy. It can be inconvenient and uncomfortable. But for the Christ follower, it's motivated by sacrificial love for God. And we in turn show it to others. Serving others in such a way is a defining characteristic of the church, of his followers, but it's worth it to have the opportunity to bless others. So friends, can I leave you with a question this morning? What's your crown you need to lay down? And what's the towel you can pick up? Jesus set aside his crown. He emptied himself. Didn't grasp his power and position. You ever thought about what Jesus laid down? What is it you need to lay down? What's your crown? That which you value most, maybe. Is it your time? Is it your reputation? Your pride? Your plans? And your dream? What's your crown? Because you'll never pick up a towel if you don't lay down your crown. And maybe the second question is, what's your towel? Where can you serve? Who can you serve? What can you do? to show the love of Christ to one another in the church and especially to our world. So 
I don't know what that is for each one of you because we're all different. And if you're really, really honest with yourself, we have things in our hearts, intentions. See, the scripture of the word says, the Bible says that the, the word actually cuts through and gets right to the very center, the intentions and the motives of our heart. What keeps you from serving? I encourage you, I really do, uh, to think deeply about that and to wrestle to the ground. And maybe it's releasing your plan. so that you can take up God's plan for you where you are. Because it's the life of blessing. It's the life he's called us to, the one he's created us for. He's saved us to do good. He has called us to do good. He's commanded us to do good. He has gifted us to do good. He's going to reward us for doing good. So church, blessing others isn't just praying and listening and eating. It's serving. And may God lead us to serve. Because the counterintuitive thing is it's absolutely what is going to make the greatest difference in your life and in the lives of others around you. Let's pray.